Restaurant Unstoppable episode 419, the last episode of the year. What was the influence uh, behind the most creative chef of our lifetimes, Ferran Adria? He was influenced by Jacques Maxima, uh, where he attended a seminar and uh, asked the question, what is creativity? And was told, it's not copying. You know, and he, because uh, he recognized that Spanish accent in Ferran's voice, he said, are you from Spain? If you offer... Um, a uh, paella that's the the same paella as everybody else is offering. Um, everybody's going to compare to the next person, to so the next person's. You will never be the best. But if you offer a cuisine that no one else in the world is offering, you will be the best. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Karen Page and Andrew Dernenberg. Are you two feeling unstoppable today? How could we not be feeling unstoppable? We're talking to you, Eric. (laughs) That's a big yes. I'm feeling born unstoppable. Yes. Yes. That's what we like to hear. So if you guys aren't familiar with these two names, which if you, that is the case, I'm surprised. Karen Page alongside husband, Andrew Dornenberg are James Beard award winning authors of numerous culinary and restaurant industry themed books, including becoming a chef, culinary artistry, dining out chefs, night out the new American chef, what to drink with what to eat the flavor by, the Food Lover's Guide to Wine, the Vegetarian Flavor Bible. In this past year, Karen and Andrew published their latest book, Kitchen Creativity, uh, where we're going to be spending most of today's conversation around that book. Uh, but I also want to capture the story and the, the, the behind the scenes of how you two... I don't mean where the inspiration came for all these books and how you two got started doing what you're doing. But before we really dive into your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Please take it away. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It's such a pleasure to get to speak with you. And, um, you know, when I think of what really gets me going, I remember coming across Joseph Campbell's quote for the first time, follow your bliss. And that is really um, something that's been a mantra for me over the years, because sometimes we can get off track and we end up doing things because we feel like we need to do them or we should do them. But when you follow your bliss, you're really following your deepest passion you're following your heart and I think the heart is definitely smarter than your head at least um, that that's uh, I think a point of wisdom that I got to it at a certain point in my life I used to think well um, it's soft to follow your heart no 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 um, you even someone with a Harvard MBA uh, as, as I happen to have um, can find out that there is a higher wisdom that's available through, when you listen to your heart and I think that's perfectly captured by Joseph Campbell's quote follow your bliss do what it is that you need to do. There's a reason you're driven to want to do it. Oh, beautiful. And Andrew, uh, what about you? Do you, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or do you have your own quote you uh-huh. want to share with us? Well, I think that is incredible. And I couldn't agree more with Karen that that's a really great way to live your life. I sort of have a couple different uh, mantras, sort of depending on the situation. My mantra is situational. Um, but overall, always that doesn't go away is that I, I try not to ever uh, go negative or let in a negative emotion. And there's no, nothing good comes from trying to take someone down a peg. And so I would never do that. And also if I'm, um, we're sort of put on this earth to learn. And so sometimes it might be a little difficult to learn a lesson, but I also know I'm meant to learn a lesson. So again, I just sort of keep myself level in that moment. It's like, okay, this is challenging, but what's the good that's going to come out of it for myself or maybe even the dish or whatever. So again, don't go, I don't go negative. I don't let in a negative emotion. I try not to say anything negative. Um, and then I also sort of t- sometimes tap Danny Myers, uh, plus one mentality or, you know, what, what can he do to add value? And I think that's a mantra. Like if I'm cooking or something, or if I'm going to make a dish for Karen, I'll look at that dish and say, well, what else can I do? Or what can I do to present it in a different way? Or what, what extra amount of love can I bring to that dish? And I think love is also a good mantra for when you're cooking was Andre Sultner said I can teach. And Andre Sultner was one of the great restaurant chefs of all time in New York City, great French chef, four stars in New York Times. And he said, I can teach all the technique in the world, but I can't teach love. So I always to try to bring love to my cooking and I'll actually like literally use that word. If I, I was, yesterday is the green market and I was picking up all these incredible ingredients that I'm going to be cooking with over this weekend. And I want to make sure I bring love to those ingredients and let it reflect to the farmers who grew them for me. Yes, this thing is going off uh, just the way I wanted it to. We're off to a great start. Those are some awesome quotes. And I'm, I'm taking notes as you two are talking over here. Uh, and just to reflect on what Andrew had to share, uh, I just recently had Anise Kavanaugh on the show. You guys might be familiar with her, uh, the author of Contagious Culture uh, and the whole mentality of you are either adding, you know, you're either bringing positive vibes to a room or you're taking away. Uh, and that's kind of what I was feeling and thinking when you were talking, Andrew, is like, be somebody who chooses to bring good into the world, positivity into the world. And it's amazing what will you'll attract onto yourself when you do that um, and just bring the love and we're meant to learn. I think we're also meant to, to teach. I mean, that's our whole purpose. That's what, the reason why we're put on this, this earth is to learn and then to take what we've 
gathered and to pass that on to the next generation, right? Uh, and to compound Absolutely, off that. Absolutely, yeah. Eric. And um, we have to take a minute to congratulate you on doing exactly that. <laughs> thank you, thank all you. of the great interviews that you do and sharing them. And I think it was in the spirit of appreciation for your doing that is one of the reasons we wanted to have a conversation with you ourselves. Oh, man, so we're this, so happy to be talking with you. This is going to be a good one. And I have some thoughts for you too, Karen, because uh, the follow your bliss, uh, follow your heart, right? Uh, and many people don't really buy into that woo-woo BS, but you know, your heart, when you, when you feel your heart, that gut feeling your heart, when your heart talks to you, well, guess what? Your, your heart doesn't have a brain. That is actually your brain. It's just the low road of the part of your brain. So it is logical. It, I mean, we have this like low road part of the brain that's constantly working, collecting data. We're probably going to talk about this in today's conversation. I'm sure uh, where we're during that learning phase where we're just gathering knowledge, right? All that's being stored and we don't necessarily know where it's stored. Like we just, we're constantly drawing on this information and that gut feeling is that part of our mind, that heart, you know, it's talking Absolutely. to us. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned the gut part of it because it, in fact, we have three a lot of us in our over-intellectual society, when we're over-educated with degrees from Northwestern or Harvard or what have you, um, we tend to spend a lot of time in our single brain in our heads, whereas we really do have three brains, and this is something that science is now coming around to, to let us know that the brain, um, there's uh, something called the Heart Math Institute that goes into the science of the heart and how the, the intelligence of the heart. And you can go to their website and go to their books and learn more about that. But then, as you mentioned, our gut instinct, it's not just an instinct, but it's really, we have a brain in our gut. There, there is intelligence that comes to it. And I think that it's through tapping all three of those things, your gut, your heart, and your actual brain, that we can bring our greatest intelligence to what we do, whether that's in the kitchen or beyond. Yeah. And so that's, I think, a really important part of of what uh, people need to understand that it's really, you know, you don't live your, your life out of one of those areas. It's really about all three of them. And that can bring you to a higher level of excellence, a higher level of success and a higher level of creativity, which we'll get around to talking about eventually. Well, we're uh, 11 and a half minutes into this sucker and we just got past the, the, the success quote and mantra part. Um, I'm not complaining. Um, this That just means this is going to be an awesome conversation. So uh, let's let's take it to how you two, I guess, what's the story behind the two of you? And how did you, I mean, we're not spent, spent too much time here, but I want to know how you met, uh, what, where the inspiration for your first book came from and kind of the evolution uh, you two have experienced as authors, uh, you know, featuring learning from so many incredible people in our industry. Um, I'm talking too much. Take it from where this all started. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Well, um, when we met, um, Andrew was working in the front of the house of the restaurant business. Um, I um, had uh, been in the restaurant business um, previously. You know, I sort of waitressed my way through college um, in undergraduate school, and always loved the food business. I actually had a cake delivery, birthday cake delivery business when I was in college, so I was always kind of in and around it. And um, we, I had actually been working as a consultant um, after business school to Fortune 500 companies in the food and beverage industry. And at the time, Andrew was working in the restaurant business and um, had been transitioning from the back of the house to the front of the house, um, really trying to decide, should he go to cooking school? Is it something that he could work his way up and do, becoming a chef? And I said, well, sweetheart, you should go buy a book on becoming a chef. And he said, there aren't any books. And so that really led to the idea of writing our first book, which was called Becoming a Chef. That came out in 1995, and that's been credited as um, really one of the first books at that 
point in time, there wasn't even a bookshelf in the in the bookstores on writing about food. Um, but it was the first book that really got went behind the scenes and uh, interviewed more than 60 leading chefs on how they became the top chefs of their era. And by the time the book came out in 1995, um, again, it was our first book. Um, no one, before we wrote it, no one knew us from Adam. And yet these chefs were all incredibly generous, incredibly kind in telling us the stories of how they got to be where they were at that point. And this is chefs like Daniel Ballou and Rick Bayless and uh, Charlie Trotter and uh, Amarillo Lagasse and Alice Waters. Man. (laughs) You got my my, like rock star dream And really set us out on the path. (laughs) Oh, man. first book. Oh, man. And, and And it's... I think it really speaks to how generous people are in the industry because Andrew had worked as a professional chef cooking with Chris Lessinger and Lydia Shire in Boston and Ann Rosenzweig in New York City, all among the most acclaimed chefs of their day. And so once we interviewed those chefs who were very supportive of the project and we got to tell other chefs, this is who we were talking to so so far, would you give us 15 minutes? Well, they ended up skipping us an hour or two or more, and oh, we man. really developed some amazing friendships and relationships. But um, that's, beautiful. that's really where it started. And so one book leads to the next because <laughs> yeah. you have one, you know, get certain questions answered, and then you have so many more questions to come up with. And so each book has been um, the result of wanting to answer the questions we had about the food business and how it operated. Oh man, I, I love what you're sharing with us. And so much of what you're, you're saying, it was resonating with me so much because I mean, that's why I started this podcast because I wanted to learn more about how to become a restaurateur and what it took to be successful. You look at all these people in the industry who have such extreme success and then you have other people in the industry who try really hard, but they never quite make it. And I wanted to find out what was the difference between those who are making it and those who aren't making it. And it seems like Andrew, you had like that same thing going on. So I guess what was your path after this? What did, what helped, I guess, determine uh, what books you would write and why were you making these decisions? Like what was guiding you? So I think that basically every book that we wrote answered a whole bunch of questions that we had when we started, and yet it opened up an even longer list of questions that we had that we found that the only way we could answer them was by writing another book so that we could do the research process because the kinds of questions we had weren't answered in any other books that we could find. And so after we wrote Becoming a Chef, we turned to the process of food, which we hadn't talked much about in Becoming a Chef. Becoming a Chef is really much more about you know the kind of people the life they led that led them into the kitchen and so what their childhoods were like, what their first jobs were, how they worked their way up in the industry, how they opened their first restaurant, how they persevered through trials and tribulations and what they saw for the future of food. We really wanted to understand, well, what is the future of food and how is it being created? And that led us to culinary artistry, which was really looking at the art of composition and beginnings of our thoughts about flavor synergy um, in that book. And so beyond that, once we understood how chefs were thinking about flavor and composing new dishes and uh, menus and even new cuisines. We wanted to understand, well, how are these uh, creations being judged? And so that led us to write Dining Out, where we spent a year eating out with restaurant critics all across the country and understanding the critical process um, sort of from both perspectives, from the critics' perspective looking at food um, after having understood the 
chef and restaurateur's perspective of what they were trying to accomplish through the restaurant experience. And beyond that, uh, we really came to understand the importance of dining as part of a chef's education, which led us to write Chef's Night Out, where we spent uh, time interviewing over 100 chefs on their favorite restaurants and what they learned from those experiences. And what we realized is that there was really um, influence being gained from all around the world, which led us to write The New American Chef, which was cooking with the best of flavors and techniques from around the world. And beyond that, when we understood that what is in the glass next to the plate you're eating is just as important as what's on the plate, um, that led us to really want to understand wine and food pairing, beverage and food pairing, and we wrote what to drink with what you eat, which was an exploration of what is the best thing you can put in the glass for a particular dish, whether that's wine or beer or a cocktail or a non-alcoholic beverage, um, a juice, water, coffee, tea, what have you. And beyond that, um, we really came to understand and appreciate flavor synergy, which led us to the Flavor Bible and uh, ad infinitum. You know, we went back to revisit uh, wine specifically through the Food Lover's Guide to Wine and really understanding on training palate and understanding the components of flavor. And then through understanding some of the health uh drivers in the industry and also the importance of vegetables, herbs, and spices, we went back and uh, wrote the Vegetarian Flavor Bible that really celebrated uh, a plant, new plant-based cuisine that was emerging that chefs like Joel Robichon had said are really going to be the future of the industry. And finally, just understanding that with, with the evolution of food, the most important thing you can possibly have is uh, an understanding of the creative process. We wanted to get inside the minds of the world's most creative chefs, which is what led us to our most recent book, which is Kitchen Creativity. Man, uh, I love that journey you just took us on. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so that's what we've been doing for the last twenty plus years. <laughs> oh man, you guys make me feel so lazy with all the work you put out there. Uh, I mean, just the work—I can't even imagine the work that goes into publishing just one book. And how many is it? Was it? I—I I, I didn't actually count the number. I think it's eleven now. And man, they're—they're they're not just like you know, one hundred page like, page turner. Like these are like detailed. Like they're almost like curriculum. Like they're like they're like. They're classroom books almost with like like lessons and just like like encyclopedia type format of just knowledge. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of work you guys put into it. I'm just thankful you did because I love especially your your uh your food bible uh and your vegetarian food bible books are just uh I use them almost once a week at least, uh just trying to get creative. Um but I kinda I love the, the the path you took and it's almost like a life of curiosity of just staying curious and listening. Um, and like, that's kind of like the underlying lesson I picked out of that is this, you, you, you ask questions, you listened, you learned, and then you just constantly stayed curious. And I think that's a lesson we can all, uh, take from your story. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? Oh, I, I think that's absolutely the kernel of it, you know, that curiosity about life. And I think what goes hand in hand with it is really a love of life. I mean, what, what do you love? What are you interested in? Because what I'm interested in isn't going to be the same as what Andrew's interested in or anybody else is interested in. And so I, I think that that kind of gets to the heart of the human experience, which is what interests us and why. And those that might be a mystery that goes unanswered, but the fact is that something interests us. And 
And that's enough for us to want to make it part of our life's journey and to really delve into our curiosity to understand that which interests us to the greatest depth that we possibly can, and then to share that passion for what interests us with other people. And I think that that's really the heart of what makes chefs and restaurateurs successful is that they have a unique passion that they have explored and they share that passion. You know, every time I go to Chicago, there is no way I'm, I'm not going to go to either Topolobampo or Frontera Grill. And that's because Rick Bayless, uh, after his days at studying linguistics at the University of Michigan, he followed his passion for Mexican cuisine. This is a kid from Oklahoma who is not Mexican, who just fell in love with these these flavors and this cuisine and these dishes and celebrates them now in a way that they've never been celebrated before anywhere else on the earth, not even Mexico. So that is something that I think is really exemplifies success is someone taking their passion to the nth degree, like a Rick Bayless in exploring Mexican cuisine, or like Daniel Ballou in New York City, exploring not just French cuisine, but taking the, the, the French love of food and joie de vivre and um, French technique and really you know, having it evolve and unfold into these whole new expressions through all of his restaurants at very different price points, not just the fine dining Danielle, but also Cafe Baloo, where we celebrated Andrew's birthday the other night, and Bar Baloo and Baloo Soup. And so many of his restaurants really um, bring, I think, that love of excellence, that love of food, that, that, that joy of food, um, but express it in so many different ways. Awesome. So the majority of these books all stem from going to those in the industry, proving successful and asking questions, being curious, learning from them. Uh, before we really dive into kitchen creativity, I'm, I'm just curious, what, were, what are some of the most common uh, features, habits, traits? Uh, I call them it factors here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, things that you've noticed about commonalities about these successful people. Uh, one or two characteristics that you can think of uh, maybe three, if you really just can't keep it limited to one or two, are, are there any features that come to mind when you just, any commonalities you see among these people? Well, I think we're, we're trying to limit it to a hundred right now yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, because these, the chefs and people we talk to are all so talented. I think one of the key lessons is, <clears throat> excuse me, teamwork in that of uh, the most successful chefs really do work with a team of people and it might be on a, on a larger level, like someone like Jose Andres, who has a whole team at Think Food Group to sort of keep his visions on track and make them come to fruition. Or like Daniel Ballou meets with his chefs, and they all talk about the menus and the dishes that are going to be uh, coming up. So I think that the best leaders are also the great listeners, and they also ask really good questions to inspire their crew. And so I think that's one commonality. And I think, again, that's sort of on a big level. But then I think of someone like Patrick O'Connell, who has the end of Little Washington in Virginia, uh, Michelin starred, perfect Zagat scores. He's probably won every Beard Award that he could qualify for. But he also works with his cooks. He'll say, I want to have, um, let's see, I want to have Neil Parmesan 1295. Make that for me tonight. And so he'll sort of like inspire his cooks. And he was joking one time that he said, what do you think this is a cooking school? And he went, well, yes, it is. And so he realized, you know, he had cooks who'd never really worked with rabbit or had never perfected duck. So here's Patrick O'Connell still working with his team there, you know, 
and teaching and having them work with things. So I think the best chefs, one of the commonalities I think are is the ability not only to teach, which we mentioned earlier, which you mentioned earlier, but to listen and to inspire their crew and to give them the tools to work together and create the great product. So Andrew, I'm curious when you say the, the ability to listen, what are they listening for? Um, they're listening for the fact that uh, a cook has never braised a rabbit before or a cook who has not worked with a lot of vegetables. We were talking to a chef one time about vegetarian flavor bubbly, and he said, well, it's funny. They all know how to cook a piece of pork or you know, a tenderloin or this, that, or the other thing, but they don't necessarily know how to work with all the vegetables that are out there. Okay. And in vegetarian flavor bubble, we actually have, like, have 12 pages on mushrooms. Um, I think it's 16. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. There's even more. <laughs> but the point well taken that it's much more than I think – uh, maybe a page or two on in culinary artistry on mushrooms. So it's how much mushrooms have evolved into, I think, an important part of cuisine because of their flavor and their nutritional benefits mm-hmm. and everything else. So they're listening for opportunities to transform their team, to add value to their team. And it's so important just to, to first seek to understand where where are my people? What What's the current situation in where do I want to take them? Where do I want them to be? So just really collecting that data m- and existing to serve uh, is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think um, it's really helping each individual member of a team um, really realize their own potential. You know, I think in the old days, um, it was much more, you know, if you go back to the French Revolution, you know, it was it was a slave mentality. Cooks were were slaves, essentially. Um, You know, they were they did what they were told to do. And um, that was a a long time. it, it took a long, it took way too long for it to evolve into the point where chefs today, I think, are considered um, many of the best culinary artists, that they bring a real artistry to what it is they do and that there's an expression in that and there is um, a gift in that. And I think that the very best chefs um, recognize that it's not just something that they tap themselves, but that each member of their team has that same capability mm-hmm. if they can work to bring it out. And so in Kitchen Creativity, we talked to chefs like like Michael Scalfo in Boston, who was named, I think, Boston Magazine's Chef of the Year um, this year uh, for his restaurants in Cambridge and how he works with his chefs by giving them a challenge. And he'll say every month he'll, he'll pick an ingredient and he will challenge them to come up with a dish using that ingredient. And so if they pick sunchokes, for example, they'll come up with appetizers and entrees and even desserts using that ingredient. And what he found through that process is that one of his lines cooks kept making desserts. He's like, um, hey, dude, do you have any interest in being a pastry chef? Which indeed he did. And that mm-hmm. is how the restaurant found their new pastry chef was through this monthly challenge. Karen, but he, it wouldn't have come up otherwise. I love this. I love it. It's because you're kind of compounding off of what Andrew just shared, which was the idea of listening, not only listening for what can I teach you, but listening for what are you really good at? What can I learn from you? Like, And then giving them a lane to do, to, to shine, to, to lift the whole team up. Uh, and that's absolutely something I've learned that some really successful people in this industry, uh, no one to get the heck out of the way and how to attract onto themselves people who are strong with their weak and to, to be a team. Like, uh, Andrew mentioned that the teamwork, the collaboration, and then just providing opportunity for those who are good. I mean, I'm, I'm going way too long right now. I think I made my point. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? 
No, I think that that's exactly right. Um, it's how to uh, eat, each of us evolve. And I think the best chefs are, as you said, uh, listeners, are teachers. You know, the, the, that's really the process that we're involved in in life. We're all here to learn, as you said. We're all here to teach. And the best chefs realize it's not just, you know, me telling you to execute my vision. It's, hey, you've got some ideas, too. You've got a different perspective from the lens through which you see the world. And each of us as individuals mm-hmm. see the world through unique lenses. We have this commonality in all being, you know, Americans or all being Bostonians in the case of Michael Scalfo. But, you know, somebody came up through fine dining somebody else came up through Italian restaurants. Somebody else came up with a lousy home cooking. Somebody else came up with a mother who could have been a famous chef. Um, And so based on all of those different experiences, if you can bring those to bear in a kitchen environment where people can be um, bouncing ideas off of one another... That makes everybody better. It bra- mm-hmm. raises the game for everybody in the kitchen, so that it, which raises the game, you know, for the entire restaurant to make it more successful. Yeah, it's and just, it also, go it, ahead and go more ahead. fun. What do you say? It's more fun. It makes it more fun. It's fun to have oh, yeah. around a bunch who are inspired because you're all happy. You're all firing on more cylinders. It you know just makes good. You know, like I used to couldn't wait to get to work sometimes because I really loved the cooks I was working with and the inspiration they all brought. Awesome. Uh, and I mean, I can't help but think of just the power of a mastermind, right? And it seems like these really great kitchens are functioning like masterminds and, uh, feeding off the power of each other and combining their brains as one united brain, uh, working together, drawing all that energy from all those multiple brains to really take it to the next level. Um, which, which can be so powerful. And one more, uh, thing I want to discuss before diving fully into kitchen creativity. Um, Karen, you mentioned taking uh, a lot of these chefs are taking their passion to the nth degree. And I want to talk real quick about passion. I'm going to make a statement and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. If you want to add on to it. Um, I've found that a lot of getting the stories, much like you did in becoming a chef, gathering those stories of people becoming chefs, how they became a chef. Uh, a lot of them found their passion by getting acknowledged for something they're good at. In uh, the other, when they tell their story, like they would say, "Oh, like a chef saw me doing something, and they said, oh, 'Oh, you're really good at that. Uh, why don't you try this?'" Did you see that happen a lot? Uh, just that simple passion stemming from acknowledgement of something you're good at. Because that's something I see a lot. Oh, that's interesting that you've observed that. You know, I think in some cases, um, people are very self-determined. They know what, you know, lights their heart on fire and they're able to follow that. Other times, you know, we're, we go through periods of time, at least, probably all of us, where we're less sure, you know, what are we good at? What are our gifts? And when someone gives you the gift of pointing out something that you do well, something that they see is a unique contribution that can't help but kind of light up our um, ourselves to to realize, wow, I didn't realize that that was special. It comes so naturally to me. And I think that's an incredibly useful process when we all give feedback to one another, which is, you know, I, I guess the converse is that it's so hurtful in this environment where we live in sometimes where it's it's very, there can be a lot of neg- negativity and criticism and, you know, sn- the sniping attitude that you sometimes see in this world of social media where people can anom- anonymously comment negatively without consequences. And so that happens way too often. So, but when people actually take the time to focus out, to point out what is being done right, what is positive here, um, that can be incredibly useful information, both for individuals, for uh, restaurants, for, for any entity to be able to grow and to learn from and to build on. Andrew, do you have any thoughts? 
Uh, I think that was perfectly said. That's exactly the way. I mean, I've never worked in a kitchen uh, that um, was negative. I yeah. know I've never, you know, I always worked with cooks who really wanted to do their best. And if they saw another cook uh, doing their best, they would raise their game even more. Or, you know, I love the fact that, like, sometimes when a cook will make a dish, you know, try it out to share it with the chef. Well, they'll sh- share it with their fellow colleagues first. And so often you, now you have five people who are all talented working on one dish to make it great. And then it gets, goes to the chef. So I think it's always it always builds. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of uh, draw on what Andrew mentioned with always listening, always looking for the opportunity to find out where uh, the the talent is and what you were talking about earlier, Karen, with uh, trusting your heart, your bliss, your gut. Uh, I mean, we're always collecting this data. We're always uh, hearing things that get kind of stored away someplace deep within us. Um, and what are people saying about you? What are people saying? Oh, like you're really good at that. Like, wow, you should do this because that's what your strength is like listen to these clues because that's going to help you find your passion and if you're somebody who's working with young people or people who are learning under you make sure you tell them when you notice these things because you could help them find their passion by reinforcing the good things the things they're good at um this is one thing i've noticed a lot and it's really important to just say what you think if it's good make sure that that those good vibes get out there because you could really help somebody find direction in their own path um before we move on, do you guys want to reflect on what I just shared or? Oh, no, I think, I think you just completely nailed it. That, that, that's, um, that's exactly the gift that people can, um, like I said, you know, learn from and build on. And I I think you'll see example after example of that in kitchen creativity of, you know, how the world's best, most creative chefs really, um, use that as a strategic advantage. It's not just that it's the nice thing to do or the right thing to do. It's that it's a successful thing to do. Um, if you're really looking for excellence and for creativity, if you're looking to build, um, your business into what it can be, it all, it's, about leveraging every single resource you have, which is every individual person on your team and helping them make the most of themselves so that they can contribute the most. Yeah. To your business. Let's, let's transition now and spend the rest of our time talking about kitchen creativity. Um, I don't, man, I kind of want to jump ahead, but let's just start with, and I think you might've already answered this earlier, uh, but what was like the, the core of why you, you chose to wrote this or write this book? Oh, there were so many reasons that led to it. I, you know, it's it's uh, funny, you know, cause and effect um, uh, isn't always, you know, 100%. You can't say, well, this caused this 100%. I think it was the right book to write for so many reasons um, that there was just no question that this was the book that Andrew and I wanted to do next um, because of the interest in creativity. If you talk to uh, leading CEOs, there have been studies on them and the most important skill for success in business. And it is not integrity, surprisingly, which comes in number two. It is not global thinking, which comes in at number three. It's the number one skill for success they identify is creativity. So it's never been more important for people um, as individuals, for people working uh, to earn a living. Um, But I think especially in the restaurant business, because it can be such a challenging business, that you need to be able to be creative to um, move to the next level uh, as a restaurant, as a chef, uh, as someone working in the industry. And so it turns out that only one in four people feel that they are working at their creative potential. So it's really just a small fraction of us. And so for the other 75% of us who feel that we can learn, uh, learn to become more creative, we want to 
wanted to write a book that would inspire them to do just that. And who better to turn to than the most creative chefs in the world who really have a tried and true creative process that can be learned from, that can be replicated, that can uh, we can use as a source of inspiration. And so we wanted to get those stories on how the most creative chefs become creative and whether they think it is something learnable, which they indeed do, and what some of their best practices are that everyone can put to work. And so we gathered those stories and we tell them and we organize them in kitchen creativity so that everybody can learn, as we refer to in the subtitle to unlock culinary genius yeah. by getting the wisdom, inspiration, and ideas from the world's most creative chefs. Andrew, do you want to build off of what Karen shared with us? I think, well, now you know why I work with Karen. It was so perfectly <laughs> said. Um, <laughs> Bless uh, you, yeah. <laughs> like, like, wow. I, I actually have to remind myself to talk right now because I'm listening to the two of you and this is so fascinating. Um, I think really the other great part about the book, Kitchen Creativity, is that it's sort of a precursor to the Flavor Bible in that mm. sense. And the, the Flavor Bible, we, ha- we give you all the ingredients to go together, you know, how, and how to maximize your flavor and season and things like that. But sometimes I just need an idea. You know, sometimes I'm just, you know, blank. And we have so many different sections in the book, but one of those sections is an A to Z section. And if you look in the A to Z section, um, there's a section on gazpacho. And so I might say, okay, it's summertime, which it's not right now, obviously, but I'm going to make a, a gazpacho. And I can look at a list of ingredients in the Flavor Bible and I'll know what, where they're going to go, but I still might need that, that kernel to get me going. And we interviewed um, the chef of uh, Barbaloo. Balusu. Thank you so much. Yes, I knew what you meant. Uh, oh, again, once again, ladies Travis and gentlemen. Travis Wickard. <laughs> yeah. Why do I Balusu, want to We love you. <laughs> Um, but he looked around and he said, well, gosh, everyone's doing tomato gazpacho. Like, you know, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to bring that's new to the idea? And so he came up with carrot gazpacho and someone else thought about strawberry gazpacho. So sometimes you just need an idea and then you open Flavor Bible and it's like, oh, I have this in the walk-in, this in my refrigerator, I have this in my spice cabinet, boom, 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 and there you go. But sometimes, again, you know, there's also personality you need to think about. So in Flavor Bible, we have, you know, what what seasons are for certain ingredients, but sometimes you might need an an idea like, Oh, what am I going to make tonight? Like, Oh, well, here's all a bunch of winter pastas or here's a bunch of winter salads or here's a bunch of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I think the idea for kitchen creativity is to be the, the, the ultimate idea starter. And then you add your own personality and your own take and your own view of the world to the idea and the ingredients that are going to make sense to you. Yeah, the seasonality sections in Kitchen Creativity are be above and beyond what you'll find in either culinary artistry or the Flavor Bible. They're really um, <laughs> a blow it out of the water. People have been amazed to see that it's got, you know, uh, seasonality for uh, beers, wines, cocktails, mm-hmm. as well as different um, preparations, desserts, pastas, pasta sauces, that kind of thing. It's really um, quite extensive. Yeah, to, to add on to what you have already shared, and one one reason why I think this book is so important, um, the topic of creativity and related to business, uh, I, I've noticed a trend where uh, in the past, you know, ten or fifteen years, uh, food has really, you know, across the boards, we've really raised the bar uh, on the quality of food. People are really getting smart. Uh, we're making good strides in the right direction to treat food right and give it the respect that it deserves. Uh, but on the point I'm trying to make is we, we can't do food much better uh, as far as uh, 
getting it using the right ingredients and making food as good as it can be. So it's really, it's not enough anymore to kind of do food good. Uh, if you really want to stand out, you just can't do the basics really good because everybody or a lot of people are doing it really good. If you really want to stand out from a business perspective, you really got to do something different. You got to zig when everyone else is zagging. You've got to find a, a niche or create a niche that nobody is doing so, so you can stand out in a very busy market, especially today. Restaurants are popping up all over the place. So why I think this book is really important is it helps you, it guides you through that creative process and how to find your own niche, how to find the one thing that you're better at than everybody else. Uh, and if, if you can create something out of, you know, uh, thin air, then your odds of standing out are going to be that much easier instead of doing like, uh, like one thing better than everybody else that, that already existed. Does that make sense? That's that's such an important point, Jordan. Um, it, the Harvard Business School, we called it uh, competitive advantage. And there's two ways to stand out in a marketplace. You can stand out through being better, as you said, or you can stand out through being different. And as you're saying, you know, quality, we've kind of nailed that. It's hard to come up with something, you know, can you, what are you going to do to increase your quality? Is it going to be better China? Is it going to be better glassware? Is it going to be better ingredients? Well, I think the answer is yes. And I think restaurants like Blue Hill are redefining what quality means. Um, and I love what Dan Barber is doing in terms of coming up with his own uh, uh, type of wheat, um, the Barber wheat, and coming up with his own bread that's made on premises. I mean, he is really raising the bar for quality. That's one way to be creative. But the other, as you point out, is really differentiation. How can you do something different than anybody else uh, in the world? And in fact, that's the opening story for Kitchen Creativity. What was the influence of uh, behind the most creative chef of our lifetimes, Ferran Adria. He was influenced by Jacques Maxima, uh, where he attended a seminar and uh, asked the question, what is creativity? And was told it's not copying. You know, and he, because uh, he recognized that Spanish accent in Ferran's voice, he said, are you from Spain? If you offer um, a uh, paella that's the, the same paella as everybody else's offering. Um, everybody's going to compare to the next person, to the next person's. You will never be the best. But if you offer a cuisine that no one else in the world is offering, you will be the best. Mm, and yeah. Ferran got it. And th that's when he went back and reinvented cuisine um, as the world knows it today um, by doing something completely different than we'd ever seen before. And that's what each and every one of us in the business can do. It could come up with books that have never been written before, come up with a restaurant concept that has never been done before. Yeah. And um, we just were had the pleasure of eating out at Vespertine, where Jordan Kahn um, has created this restaurant that was named the number one restaurant in L.A. by Pulitzer Prize winning critic Jonathan Gold. And what Jordan is bringing to the restaurant experience is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I've seen a lot in the more than 20 years that I've been writing about restaurants. But he's bringing, I think, in an extraordinary way, the concept of sound to the restaurant experience and to the restaurant environment. And I don't want to say too much about it because you really need to experience it, but um, I think it's sort of blowing open the notion of what a restaurant experience can be, and I think that should inspire everybody to use all of their senses to be creative when it comes to the restaurant experience and to creating new dishes and how they're served. Awesome. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts? I... Uh, what came to mind for me was Amanda Cohen of Dirt Candy in New York City. And her 
mantra, I, I would say, is when, she, you know, she says, if you're not going to move the conversation forward, what's the point? Mm. You know, I want to get out of bed to change the conversation. And her cuisine is vegetable based. And I think she absolutely has changed the conversation. And one example she shared with us is like, uh, veggie burgers are all, uh, sliders are all the rave. And she said, well, they're all sort of grain based. They're all kind of the same thing. So she came up with a carrot slider oh. and she came and she added carrot juice to the bun. And she, I think, I'm not sure how she cooked the carrot, but she came up with a tiny little carrot slider, which actually is a true slider as opposed to like small burgers. Those aren't sliders. And so she actually came up with a carrot slider and puts it in a little box that you would get out of the takeout place. And that's part of her tasting menu. And she has, a five course or and a 10 to 12 course tasting menu and uh, all vegetable uh, cocktails that are vegetable based. So again, she, with her cuisine and with her restaurant, with her presentation and with her food, which is delicious, which is always the bottom line um, is changing the conversation and she's doing it through vegetables. So there's a lot of different uh, routes you can go to create something that's unique uh, and personal to yourself. I, I think that's the other thing is these chefs, I'll know who they are and that's who she is. Awesome. And uh, there's a great book that kind of dives into the important, the importance of, um, you know, being unique in, uh, it, it's Seth Godin. Uh, his, he wrote that purple cow. I think that really explains this whole philosophy philosophy. We're talking about just finding something that's different, uh, be, you know, stand out right in the, in the noisy world. You got to stand out today. Um, I just realized we never took a break to thank our sponsors. So I got to make sure I do that. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll come back and we'll actually have Karen and Andrew take us through uh, what they discovered about the creative process to be unstoppable. Most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest superpower is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce. And when citrus skyrockets, you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter. 
To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you mention Restaurant Unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. We're back. And uh, now I'm going to have Karen and Andrew take us through this creative process they've discovered. Uh, So where does it start, guys? Well, we break down the creative process into three basic stages. And again, with the creative process, as anyone who's creative knows, I mean, there's no process. A lot of times the creative process is defined by chaos, but that's not very helpful if you're looking to write a book or looking to teach people about creativity. So the important thing to understand is that these stages can kind of fall back on one another. Um, They're not completely linear. They do um, kind of, like I said, circle back um, uh, over time. But they do essentially break down into three stages that we've identified as mastery, alchemy, and creativity. And what we mean by this is stage one mastery, um, you cannot... Uh, as Picasso says, break the rules if you don't know what the rules are. So mastery is all about acquiring knowledge, skill, and control. And really, this section of the book is all about learning to think like a chef, how to shop like a chef, and how to season like a chef. And if you have these basic skills, then you can be the kind of chef that can walk into a kitchen and be spontaneously creative by being able to just open the refrigerator and the cupboards and walk in and see what's there and, you know, have the mind that will allow you to transform them into something delicious. So in this section of the book, we've got a list of the 20 um, books that leading chefs say should be part of every creative chef's library. And so that's really useful. Um, I bet most of your listeners probably have (laughs) most of these books in their (laughs) library at the moment. If not, it's a great list to kind of fill out from. But the other thing is, you know, if you want to cook the food that's as great as the chefs that you admire, you need to invest in the kind of ingredients that they actually acquire for their restaurants. And so we've got a list of dozens and dozens of the best purveyors of different ingredients. And so they're the kind of places that chefs turn to for their um, microgreens and for oils and vinegars and um, grains and everything else across the country that they possibly use. Um, for people who aren't, who aren't familiar with the store Calustians in New York City or the Spice House in Chicago, these are the places that leading chefs turn to for their spices. Um, but it's got a whole host of vendors. And then it's got a list of um, some of the best of the best, according to leading chefs, you know, whether it's a maple syrup or a butter or a chocolate that they like to work with. Um, understanding these is kind of benchmarks so that if you're cooking with a particular ingredient, and you don't know what to use, it's not that you necessarily need to use this specific kind of vanilla. Although if you're going to use a different one, you better know what this one tastes like so you can have a reason why you're using what you're using. So it's a great way to train your palate by understanding the best ingredients that the best chefs use. Um, And beyond that, we go into stage two, which is alchemy, which is really about converting the common into the precious. Can I reflect on mastery real quick before we dive into alchemy? (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) one thing I love to say is you must be before you can do, uh, before you can go out and open your own restaurant or become an executive chef, you must be, uh, and you, before you can be, 
you must do, which seems kind of like, wait, which one comes first? Um, but you need to go out and learn from the greats, uh, you know, get mentored, do stages, and you must become, you must do to be. And if you, before you can go open your own restaurant, you must be before you do that. Um, so this is kind of like the becoming part, right? The, the learning in, um, the, providing data to that low road that we talked about earlier, all the things that we have to learn how to do, like chopping properly and getting those fine motor skills down over time, those become habit. Those are things that are like pushed off to the low road. You need to put as much into that low road as possible. Things that are just inside of you that you don't like you call it the sixth sense, right? That they, they pull from this area that you need to build on that. You need to get that data in, in inside of you, right? Those habits created. Beautifully put, Eric. That's exactly what it's all about, is how do you make that route so you can move on to the part of being creative? That yeah. you've got to invest that time and invest that um, effort first. Beautiful. Uh, okay, sorry. Thank you for giving me that moment to just get that out. I had to. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's an important point. Awesome. Thank you yeah. for underscoring it and, and putting it so well. Uh, um, and once you have that base that you talked about, um, you can go into stage two alchemy, which yes. is um, where you convert the common into the precious. And what we mean by this is really how do you take the same ingredients that everybody's working with? You know, a carrot, I mean, a carrot isn't a carrot, isn't a carrot. Um, you want to make sure that you select the best possible ones available to you. But once you've got that carrot, what are you going to do to transform it into something extraordinary? And that's a matter of uh, understanding both techniques, but especially um, the uh, art of flavor affinities, because flavor synergy is the process through which you can take uh, a technique or you can take another ingredient and add flavor. Mm. This is where we're talking about adding flavor as opposed to enhancing flavor. So in mastery, it's really about enhancing flavor. How do you make something taste uh, more like itself, but more delicious? And a lot of times the focus in mastery is about salting technique uh, or adding acid, um, or in the case of sweet ingredients, adding a, a sugar or another source of sweetness. In alchemy, it's really about understanding what is the the um, alchemy of ingredients coming together such that one plus one equals three, or one plus one equals thirty three. You know mm. that it's just so much better based on combining the right things. And so this is where books like the Flavor Bible and What to Drink with What You Eat can be really essential because they really spell it out for you. You know, if you don't know anything about flavor alchemy, it sounds too complicated. All you need to know is that if you can turn to the Flavor Bible uh, for what you're combining on the plate and what to drink with what you eat for what you're combining on the plate and the glass, that that will get you in the ballpark of understanding the, the alchemy that happens when you combine a mushroom dish with Pinot Noir, boom, that's flavor synergy. Eat The, the wine is going to make the dish taste better. The dish is going to make the wine taste better. That's what we're talking about here. So alchemy is really about understanding how do you convert food through flavor, understanding the basics of flavor dynamics, and understanding the flavor equation, which we introduce introduced in the flavor Bible and really go into in much greater depth in kitchen creativity. Awesome. And, uh, from what I learned doing all these interviews, I feel like this part, uh, is like the, the always taking it. Like what we always hear on the show is never stop learning, never stop making it better. Always kind of bring it to that next level. And there's always something, never stop learning, right? Being a student of the industry. And I think that that part of what I learned really gets applied here. Or do you think that's in the mastery section? I don't know. 
Yes, you know, it, it, it's constant. I think it's yeah. really true for yeah. all three aspects of the creative process, that you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. And that, and sometimes that learning process is the creative process, where, you know, we give the example in Kitchen Creativity of um, Craftsman and Wolves, the bakery in San Francisco, where the chef asked the intern to hard boil the eggs for this muffin he was creating that he wanted to put a hard boiled egg in and the the eggs were undercooked. And so it turned out to be a soft boiled egg. And, you know, first he wants to, you know, yell at the intern, but then he's thinking, well, wait a second, you cut into this and it oozes out. Um, This is pretty delicious. (laughs) It might even be more delicious than what I had in mind. So the, the process of that case is learning that a mistake isn't a mistake. It's the greatest thing that ever happened in your career (laughs) that led to the, Instagram sensation that led to being nominated for the James Beard Award for Outstanding Pastry Chef. I mean, that's a great example of learning takes place all the time, but yeah. you have to be aware to, to that, that it's taking place oh, because man. if you yell at the intern and you throw it away, well, you've missed the opportunity for the greatest dish that's ever occurred in your it's kitchen. Gonna, it's going to pay your rent. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love the passion and energy that's flowing out of you both right now. This is great. Uh, Andrew, I haven't heard much from you. Do, do you want to add anything? I don't. I want to make sure we, we're giving you plenty of time to talk as well. Oh no, no, this is fantastic. This is a great. I love <laughs> awesome. it. Actually, but I do think it is really. We were talking about learning, and I I loved learning about wine. And uh, the other day, we were literally uh, walking through Midtown Manhattan, and we popped into Aldo's Somme Wine Bar, which for your readers, there's La Bernadette, one of the great restaurants ever in this world. And across the way is Aldo Somme Wine Bar, a little wine bar overseen by Aldo Somme, the sommelier at La Bernadette, who's also been credited with being the number one sommelier in the world. And we pop in, and what's incredible, he has this you know, great wine list where you can get, order all the grapes, but he also has inexpensive wines that are absolutely fun and accessible. And I had a uh, Sauvignon Blanc from India a couple of days ago. And so... I had to try it. So, the, you know, having a, a sense of curiosity and also I looked at what we were ordering and made sure it went with what we were having because it was a very lemony, acidic wine. And the waiter assured, uh, assured me that it would go perfectly with our first course, and it, and it did. But I think always, you know, pushing yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone, especially at a great restaurant, it's really not much of a risk. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the other part of, you know, the alchemy part is always learning more things that you can just sort of bring into your toolbox. Yeah, I love that. The bringing yourself out thing. of your comfort zone. Absolutely. And it's like a, a quote that I beat to death on the show. It's like, if you're going, if you don't have control, you're not going fast enough, right? Like that uh, Mario Andretti. <laughs> you've got to be constantly pushing the envelope uh, and learning new things and failing and trying, you know, but that's where we learn through those failures and doing it better each time we show up. Um, and, and even if you're crashing and burning, you're still eating and drinking. It's not, it's not a bad, you know, thing to do. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right. So the last, uh, stage, third stage, uh, and the first part of your book is creativity. So dive into that. Exactly. And so what, what we mean by creativity is making something new and valuable. I mean, just new isn't enough because new can be lousy, new can be annoying, <laughs> but new and valuable, something that really does um, add to the canon um, is really important. And what we focus on in this chapter is really about, um, I think, which was the most eye-opening aspect of talking with all these chefs was understanding that they cook with all their senses. And what we mean by this is not just the outer senses, which is the five senses that we talk about most often and think about most often, uh, obviously taste and smell when it comes to chefs, but also sight, sound, touch. Um, 
they obviously develop those senses to the nth degree, um, to the point where chefs like Daniel Patterson has actually studied perfume making to really train his nose and aroma that has made him such an extraordinary chef. Um, but also what we're talking about is the inner senses, and there are five inner senses that the chefs pay attention to, whether they call them by these names or not. Um, we find that each chef we spoke with had a way of alluding to it. So we've um, given them our names, which are uh, instinct, which again is that gut intelligence that we talked about in the beginning of our conversation today, uh, intuition, uh, which is that sense of knowing, insight, which is that aha experience that happens when we um, put two things together for the first time never put together in our minds before imagination um, which is where you create new ideas and then inspiration which is um, where that uh, impetus comes from for a new dish or a new restaurant concept or another new idea. And so these inner senses are something that the leading chefs, the most creative chefs, make time to nurture, to pay attention to. Um, a lot of times they keep these extraordinary journals. Um, you know, ask a chef, a very creative chef, to see their journal and you will see some of the greatest taking, picture, um, lopping, and it doesn't have to be a written journal, although some of them, many of them are. Um, a lot of times chefs will have um, sections on their iPhones where they will collect um, photographs. In fact, a lot of them use the, their Instagram accounts for that purpose. They will take pictures of things that interest them, and their chef team at the restaurant knows to go through their Instagram, not just, you know, isn't that a pretty picture, but okay, what does chef want to do with this idea? needed you know transform and and that's we've got a section in kitchen creativity on the uh, creative team behind chef, the think food group which is headed up by Jose Andres and he's got um, a chef in charge of a chef and a pastry chef and an R&D expert in charge of taking his inspirations and transforming them into new uh, restaurant concepts dish concepts drink concepts and they're always combing through everything he tweets everything he instagrams every uh, internal message that they're sent in order to understand, okay, how do I implement this? How do I turn this into value? How do I take um, whatever it is that Jose is seeing and they've learned how to read his mind in a sense and to transform that into something that can serve and drive their business forward. Beautiful. And I, I was writing down some of these inner senses. I want to make sure I got them all. Uh, intuition, inspiration, instinct. And were there a few more that I missed? Oh, uh, instinct, intuition, insight, imagination and inspiration are the five inner senses that are articulated in kitchen awesome. creativity. Beautiful. And we give all kinds of ways that leading chefs uh, tap them, including a two page spread, which is an interview with Eric repair on his meditation process that he credits with um, being a source for his creativity at Le Bernardin. Where's that and, interview? Sorry. Where's that interview? That's in, that's in the creativity section of oh, the book. I didn't, okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's, um, I think pages 212 to 213, Eric Repair and Enhancing Creativity Through Meditation. Ooh. And he really walks you through the two different approaches to meditation he takes and how it feeds his creativity. I'm jumping to that page as soon as we get off the call. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great interview, actually. It is awesome. It's a fascinating interview. And uh, is there anything else to this uh, creative process or anything you want, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up today's discussion? 
Um, well, we could go on for another hour, but I don't think we'll do that. I think, you know, there's lots of um, tips. We also spoke with creativity experts on how to become more creative. And I guess the one that I really like leaving people with, especially knowing how hard people work in the restaurant business, is understanding the fact that um, you can triple your creativity by choosing to be happy. And it, it, some of us think that, you know, happiness is the luck of the draw, that it's something that either happens to us or it doesn't happen to us and all the complainers think it never happens to them. But in fact, there's a Harvard professor, Sean Acker, who tells us that um, scientifically happiness is a choice. It's a choice about where your single processor brain will choose to devote its, in, its finite resources as you process the world. We can only choose to be happy or to be sad or, or upset or angry or some other negative emotion. You choose it. We have to choose one or the other because if we choose one, we literally, scientifically, our brain is not wired to be the other. But if we choose happiness first, then we um, that that is part of the key. But in fact, um, happy employees, according to the Harvard Business Review, are um, on average, 31% higher in productivity, 37% higher in sales, and three times higher, literally 300% higher in creativity. So if you choose to be happy, you can literally triple your creativity. So a oh, good thing man. to keep in mind. Karen, I want to I compound on what you just share with us uh, because it's so true. And if the, way the, the easy way to think about it is like your, your primitive part of the brain. Think of your brain evolving, growing from the center and growing out. And uh, the emotional part of the brain is kind of the those emotions come from the the primitive area. So when you let these emotions uh, kind of like swamp or flood your brain, like despair, like no hope, like I can't do it. Uh, your brain shuts off at that point. But if you have this optimistic point of view or this, this place, place of happiness, or I can, or it's possible, then you turn on the creative part of your brain, which is the, the frontal lobe, uh, the more advanced evolved part of the brain. And that's where we really shine. Uh, human beings really shine is that creative process of, of creating literally anything like being like projecting to the future and just coming up with ideas and figuring it out. Um, but when you have that despair and that no hope, like I mentioned earlier, you you don't ever get to that frontal lobe. You, you never make the leap. So you have to be optimistic. You have to have hope. You have to ask yourself, how, how is this possible? And then your mind will just provide so like boundless opportunities. Um, so, so powerful. I needed to put more emphasis on that. Um, no, I, I think I'm it's really the crux of it. I'm Eric, you know, I, I'm so glad you're underscoring that because, you know, basically our creativity is, um, it, it evolves out of our consciousness mm -hmm. and we need to be conscious of our consciousness mm -hmm. of where are we? And I think our emotions are this perfect um, sort of GPS system for where we are in any point in time. And if we're feeling unhappy, we need to be aware of that and then flip that. So understand that if we're unhappy, we, we literally cannot be happy. We need to flip the switch to make the choice to be happy. And then that can open up all kinds of creativity for us. Awesome. We also go into kitchen creativity about different levels of consciousness in the book and in terms of being measured scientifically by brainwave states, which is sort of a cutting edge of research. There are CEOs who spend $15,000 a week to go to some of the places that have evolved for um, uh, business leaders to learn to uh, control their brainwave states because what we found is that the difference between a non-creative person and a highly creative person is the ability to turn on what they call alpha waves at will. And what that is is it's 
the more relaxed state for our brains to be in, which are typically in what they call a beta state, which is living in instinct, living in that fight or flight um, sort of uh, place. If we can relax ourselves and go into, get our brains to go down into the alpha brain state through things like meditation or relaxation or in some case, cases um, Athletics, um, run, going out for a run, doing yoga, we really open up the channels for our imagination and intuition and to be able to tap them. And it's even a more relaxed state that goes into deep meditation, the kind that Eric Repair does, that um, is called theta state. And that opens up not only imagination and intuition, but also insight to really, if you want to go, like David Lynch, of uh, the film director says, if you want to dive deep and get the big ideas, you've got to go down into that theta state. And so so meditation is one of the most powerful ways uh, that people can, um, you know, relax in such a high-stress profession, but also to tap these untold levels of creativity. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing more and more chefs like Eric Repair, Rick Bayless, who's a 20-year yoga practitioner, um, and others really make meditation a not uh, occasional practice, but literally a daily practice because mm-hmm. they realize how much it helps them succeed in, in their business. Awesome. And I'll just add one quick thing on that. Please. And that is the importance of breathing. Mm. And if, if, I, if I, I wish I'd learned this lesson like my second day on, in, in the restaurant kitchen, and that is if feeling stressed and overwhelmed, take a deep breath. Don't take a shallow breath like, I'm, I'm good now. Take a deep breath into your belly and take a deep breath, and that will slow you down, calm you down, and no one knows that it's going on. No one knows that you're just taking a deep breath. For As far as they see it, you're still working. But I think taking a deep breath will really help any cook or any, even if you're just making dinner and you have the TV on or a baby and you're trying to get something done fast, just take that deep breath and that will change your state right then and there and you will be more productive and have access to happiness and all these other emotions that we're hoping to achieve. Yeah, that deep breath is something that slows your brain waves. Mm-hmm. If you want yeah. to go from beta down into alpha, the breathing deeply is one of the most important things you can do. It's well a, said, Andrew. It's the first step and, to and you can do that while someone's yeah. calling out your orders. Oh, awesome. Oh, man. Andrew, Karen, uh, this has just been a great time. Uh, I'm so happy we got you on the show. And it's just been an honor uh, to have a conversation with two people I respect. Honestly, uh, when I I got the email uh, from your people, Karen, I was like, wait a second. What? Like these guys want to talk to me. Like there was like a little moment of like, like starstruck and, uh, I like almost like a, I made it. I mean, I still have a far way to go, but like, uh, just, just to be on the same level as you having conversations with the two of you, uh, man, this has just been like a, a really great, uh, you know, almost like a milestone for me. So, uh, great, great conversation. Thank you so much. And, um, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who, and this is going to be a tough one for the two, the two of you. Who do you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you two have made for us today? You know, it's funny, Andrew and I were thinking about that um, because we know that that's a part of what you do on, on your show. And we had the perfect person in mind who is someone who actually um, did something, uh, had a career path that we uh, recommend to others. You know, he came from a small, well, not a small town. Um, he came from a city in Canada um, uh, and came to New York City and worked with the very best. He worked with Daniel Ballou. He worked with Danny Meyer. And then he went back home to Ottawa, Canada and opened up 
three of the most important restaurants in Ottawa, Canada, that have on the map as among the best restaurants in all of Canada. And his name is Steve Bechta. He was featured, I think, at the age of 25 on the cover of the New York Times food section uh, in an article saying, waiter, is our sommelier old enough to drink? <laughs> because he started out as a sommelier at Café Boulou and worked his way up to sommelier at 11 Madison Park. He's one of those naturals in the business who literally self-made, pulled himself by, up by his bootstraps and has created an industry. I'd say he's the Danny Meyer of Ottawa, Canada now. And he's someone that we have enormous admiration, um, affection, and respect for. And we think Steve Beckett would be a great person to have on the show. Oh, man. Steven Bechta, episode 227. Head up to the restaurant <laughs> on stoppable.com slash 227. Uh, I had him on the show and he was amazing. You're right. One of my, my more memorable. You've interviews. already had him on the show. Man, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm happy that you drew attention to him because he deserves it. Well, and, and it was We're going to underscore that, that episode <laughs> yeah. and we're going to help spread the word about that one. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see if we can come up with someone else for you because obviously you're you're talking to more great people than we can keep up on. Um, it's a good sign that I'm on the right track uh, when we get repeat guests. So our repeat Absolutely. recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would guess Steve Beck's mantra was bring the love. Uh, that's really where he centered it. Actually, Andrew had mentioned Amanda Cohen at Dirk Candy. Have you spoken with Amanda? No. Amanda Cohen? You, you would love talking to Amanda Cohen of Dirk Candy in New York City. She had, she was actually the first restaurateur in New York City to implement the um, hospitality included, uh, no tipping policy. Actually, they call it hospitality included at Danny Meyer's restaurants at Union Square Hospitality Group. And they're the ones who really, I think, put it on the map nationally and um, in the United States, but Amanda was, I think, technically the first restaurant in New right. York City to implement it. She's really cutting edge in terms of um, some of her thoughts about uh, the restaurant business. She's um, unabashedly outspoken and I think hilariously funny, um, a great writer, and um, also I think she would be a wonderful, wonderful person to have on the show. All right. I'm Megan Cohen. Oh, sorry. Amanda Cohen. Look out. I'm coming Amanda out. Cohen. I'm coming out. Of dirt candy in New York City. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing when she said it. Great minds think alike. This is why we're still together. <laughs> Married 27 years, together 32. Well done, sweetheart. Yeah, so <laughs> before we say goodbye, uh, just let the folks at home know if they want to follow you on social media or check out your website or uh, whatever, what's the best way to connect and follow Absolutely. you guys? Absolutely. Um, our website is karenandandrew.com. Um, we're on Twitter at Karen and Andrew. We're on Instagram at The Flavor Bible. And we're on Facebook also at Karen and Andrew. Awesome. And uh, this is episode two. Sorry, episode 419. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 419. I'll link to those social handles. I'll also have links to all of Karen and Andrew's books. Um, just, I think, you know, the, your series of books should be in the, on the shelves of every, any restaurants, uh, you know, library for sure. Any, even the home cook too, if you really have a passion for learning about food, uh, there's just so much, such a wealth of knowledge in these books that you've created. And um, yeah, I mean, thank you I, so I much for no. your kind <laughs> words, Eric. And- Thank you for the great conversation. It's been our pleasure. And and thank you for bringing a podcast so that someone can download and listen to it on the gym or on their way to work. I think it's so great that you're putting it into this context where everyone can just throw it on their phone and you know get an hour of inspiration i think that's fantastic thank you so much uh guys this was so good there is no questioning you are unstoppable (laughs) (laughs) as are you eric way to go (laughs) (laughs) cheers 
Wow. Awesome episode. Episode 419, the last episode of the year with big guns, Karen Page and Andrew Durnenberg. Awesome stuff. Oh, man. Uh, so many just great topics that came up organically in today's conversation and uh where to start uh i think just that the idea of staying curious uh listening to karen and andrew's story uh they just followed their curiosity and created opportunities for themselves and just let that curiosity guide them i think you can take a note from what andrew and karen did and follow your curiosity and constantly learn and Get out there and just experience new things to help find your passion. And then like these successful chefs that we were discussing, listen, uh, listen to what other people are saying about you, what they're saying about your strengths and your weaknesses, and they can help you find your passion. And then if you're in that position where you are the chef, are you listening? Are you really taking in what's happening around you and using all of your senses? I feel like that is uh, the one of the big common characteristics of these successful people they're using all their senses they're taking it all in and just the power of uh meditation and yoga and positive thinking and how that helps spur curiosity it just the significance of curiosity in itself how it can help you stand out from the crowd you can try to do a few things that have been done thousands and thousands of times really well or you can do one thing that's never been done and be the standard and be the best at what you do. And that's the power of creativity in this book. Uh, creative or sorry, <laughs> the book. Uh, wow. It's two words and I'm struggling. You can tell it's been a long day. Kitchen creative uh, head over to or sorry. Kitchen creativity. Whew, butchered that. Uh, anyway, head over to the show notes restaurant unstoppable.com slash four nineteen. I have a link over to kitchen creativity there as well as a link to all their books uh, and their contact information all over at restaurant unstoppable.com slash four nineteen. And guys, this is the last episode of the year. I just want to take this moment to thank you all uh, for your support, for your downloads, for your emails, for your your reviews and just supporting me in this mission to lift up our industry and to share knowledge and create this melting pot of mentors. I wouldn't be able to do it without you guys just cheering me on. So thank you to all my listeners and to my support group that's out there. And uh, 2018, guys, it's going to be a great year. I just have a gut feeling uh, that things are really starting to take off here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm going to be living more or less on the road. I really want to get out there and uh, meet these people. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is that to really make an impact, you 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 don't want to be transactional, right? You don't want to just say, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You know, hey, I want to interview you. Give me an hour of your time. Like, I want to go into these people's restaurants and sit with them, maybe have a beer or coffee with them and really connect with them and go deep. And I'm hoping that's what taking this podcast on the road will allow me to do. I'm not exactly sure where I'll end up. I know the first stop is going to be Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So if you guys are in the Pittsburgh area and you want to hook up, uh, meet up for a coffee or a beer and just uh, chat, I'm game for it. Um, I'm going to be going to Thailand this winter. Uh, the, the goal is to get as much interviews recorded as possible in the next couple of months. And then I'm going to wrap up the winter season and headed out to Thailand uh, to uh, meet up with a friend who is going to help me really build out my platform and upgrade uh, the restaurant unstoppable platform and really bring this thing to the next level. So a lot of exciting things uh, coming up in the future. So if you want to stay connected and know where I'm going to be and what's going on and uh, what I'm learning and 
if you want to like dive into my mind and the, the things that I'm picking up along the way, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, scroll down to the bottom of the screen, and you should find a, a, a field to sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I would love for you guys to sign up for that newsletter, the, the email list, so you can get my weekly emails where I send you uh, what you miss, uh, what I'm thinking, uh, tools and resources, things of that nature. So do sign up for that. And I think that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around this long and uh, for sticking around this whole year. And if you're new to the podcast, I hope you can stick around uh, for many episodes to come in. Until next time, peace out.